Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kinney. I'm your co-host, Spence Halford. Joined by Spence Halford today. Man, we I think we say this a lot, but I think we have another good one for you. Yeah, this is a great episode. We went down to Mossy Oak, mm-hmm. to really the gamekeeper's office um, or the biologic office or the native nursery's office. I don't know. They run so much out of that one place, but um, it's such a cool spot it's mm-hmm. where, where we met with Bobby Cole a few weeks ago. Pretty cool to, to, to re- record in the yeah in the actual yeah, that's podcast right. in studio. In the gamekeeper studio, that's yeah. right. Um, but you know, Dudley's just such a wealth of information. He's such a colorful guy. Mm-hmm. He's seen so much life and, or seen so much in such a short life. You know, he's not yeah. an old guy, nah. but he knows, um, so much. And, uh, I just, I got a lot of respect for Dudley's head knowledge and, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that he shares that with people is so, I think the word I want to use is inviting. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you're not intimidated by his knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, and I thought that was, you know, they're talking about the something or other, pink and all these other yeah. things and things I, I thought I knew. Um, yeah. I thought I knew something about trees and walking out of there, I was like, I'm going to need a Yeah, he's one of those, book. he's one of those really brilliant guys that doesn't make you feel dumb. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? That's even a skill. though, even though you totally realize how inept you are at next identifying leaves next That's to him. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, he's such an interesting guy, such an intelligent guy, mm-hmm. and he has uh, just such a cool air of humility about him yep. um, in that regard. And so I think it's neat. One of the cool connections that we're going to talk about in this episode that Dudley and I both made um, a couple of years ago, actually, and really, to be honest, what prompted this podcast sure. was uh, Dudley's father um, – who um, who died at a very early age, hunted at a place called Jackson Point, which was a, which is was and is a really cool hunting club um, in the Mississippi River Delta. It's between the levees. It's um, south of Memphis, about I don't know, maybe maybe a hundred miles mm. downriver, maybe maybe a little less than that. But um, anyways, we made this connection. I saw that. Dudley posted on Instagram something about Jackson Point, and I was like, wait a minute, there can't be more than two of those. And the more we talked about it, the more we shared common knowledge about it. And uh, and so in half of this, you know, we're going to kind of talk to Dudley about Dudley, and then in the other half we're going to get mm-hmm. Dudley to talk about um, Jackson Point and Miss Elna, which I was right, it is an e-name. I texted exactly him earlier. Right. We were trying to remember he, he told us about this very colorful lady who – um, you know, has pretty serious roots mm. historically into where diaphragm mouth calls come from. Um, and so anyways, that's it's pretty cool. I think this is a fun episode for yep. folks. And I would just say for those of you out there that are historians, this is going to be one of, this will be kind of the intro episode, if you will, to at least two or three more mm-hmm. um, that we'll have coming later. Yeah, my grandfather wants to talk about this, and my uncle wants to talk about it, and so we're gonna we're gonna you know burn some diesel fuel and try to investigate the story just a little bit more, and um, I think it'll be be fun. I know it'll be fun for me and you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> count count on that. I, I'm excited. If you don't I'm like it, don't, about that. If you don't like it, don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, this is another good one, and, and if y'all have questions about this i think as people start to listen we've kind of peeled back the layers and we've started to realize there's more and more kind of commonalities out there Mm. um 
if you've heard anything about this place, reach out to us and yeah. and we'd love to just yeah, see where that goes. So sure. um I guess without further ado. Further ado. Let's get to it. Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode is brought to you by Mossy Oak, because everything is better in Bottomland. Kent Cartridge, quality matters. Performance counts. Shen Gear, waterfowl gear that is built better. And Benelli USA, dominate the skies. Well, we are in West Point, Mississippi, with our buddy Dudley Phelps. How are you, Dudley? I'm good. We're in the Gamekeeper Studio, yeah. as Bobby would call it. Yeah, in the, that's in right. the bowels of the Gamekeeper Studio, <laughs> the mole hole. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of names for this building. Oh yeah. Um, so, Dudley, we want to know all about you. You're the man behind a couple of things around here. How did you get here? Where'd you come from? What do okay. you do here? Like, give us the whole. Give us all the lowdown. All right. So. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this concise, but, but cover all the bases. Uh, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Uh, family, uh, had some family land out, out in the country, and we'd go there all the time and have a good time and hunt and fish and do all that. Killed my first turkey there, and uh, my dad passed at a young age. Uh, he was carrying a cooler full of refreshments into the Grove before an Ole Miss game, and uh he had a previous heart condition. Oh. He kind of preferred to just live life. And, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't supposed to pick heavy things up. Oh. You know, wasn't supposed to build shooting houses in the middle of the summer heat and carry mm. bags of quick creep. But anyway, we lost him at, at 43, mm. and he was my best friend and my hunting buddy. Mm. And uh, But life goes on, and we had this family farm. I was a junior in high school, and... Uh, I just tried to pick up where he left off. Uh, my granddad on my mom's side helped, and uh, I just developed a passion for managing the land and growing yeah. the trees and, and doing all of that. Um, so it just evolved from there. Uh, my grandmother on my mom's side uh, had a biology degree, you know, like in the 30s. Wow. Uh, a woman. You know, I was going to say, there couldn't have been many people in her I, I class. I may have the year. I, th- I want to say it was in the 30s. Um, but uh, she taught biology. I've got some of her old plant books. So she would drive around and uh, get wildflower samples and identify them. And so I think that's where I got that bug from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a little kid, I was always picking acorns up and putting them in my pocket. You know, whether I did anything with it, I, I enjoyed the elements of nature. Yes. That's super and, cool. And uh, so I go. I actually went to school and got a degree in photography. I wanted to be a wildlife photographer. Really? So I went to Del- – finished at Delta State. Um, fighting okras? Fighting okras. Um, 
I'd go to hunting camps and take pictures duck hunting. And, you know, that's what I did my thesis on was just being outside. Were you going to try to make a living doing that? I was. And uh, I think that's when the ADD kicked in and I had to do it (laughs) in real life. Uh, You know, it was like maybe taking pictures at soccer games and things like that. And it it just didn't work. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go back to, you know, I get stuck in sales world selling cell phones and, uh, one day I just said, I, I want to go back and become a forester. So I went to Mississippi State, enrolled in like forestry classes, some horticulture classes, um, and did that. And would that while have been I like was, a, would that have been a bachelor's degree? Like it was, you were going to uh, work pers- on a second yeah, one? Yeah, pursuing a master's. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And uh, so while I was doing all of that, um, there was a guy in my class that noticed I was really good at identifying trees. Um, his name's Blake Hamilton. And, uh, he said, you know, I, I work, we've got this new little nursery we're putting together for Mossy Oak and you ought to come check it out sometime. Hmm. And, uh, I went with him a week or so later and, uh, I've been working here ever since. That was, I think in 07. Okay. And I did what's called the co-op program where you'd work a semester, take a semester off. Uh, and I ended up working both semesters anyway. <laughs> um, and, you know, then we started playing with these hybrid oaks. Toxie was real into them. I was collecting them on campus and finding them in the woods and growing them in my backyard uh, before I even started at the nursery. All right, let me ask you, let me interrupt you for just a second. So the nursery is here in town? The nursery is, close. yeah, yeah, it's closer to Starkville, actually. Okay, and it's it's a yard, y'all are growing trees. Yes, uh, it, it was a nursery before we got it. Uh, they were, you know, growing cut flowers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, What constitutes a hybrid oak? What do you mean by that? Well, so like, uh, for example, uh, the, a swamp chestnut, it's half swamp chestnut, half white oak, or half water oak, half nut all oak. So the pollen from a male, uh, a male flower called a catkin, that little thing that looks like a tail hanging on the Mm -hmm. branches in the spring, the pollen lands on a female flower of another oak species, and that acorn forms, falls to the ground, and it becomes a tree. And it'll have characteristics of both parents. So those hybrid, those oak hybrids exist in nature? They do, and they're they're harder to find, they're harder to come by. You know, you think about, I don't know, 5,000 acorns fall out of a tree, Maybe three of them end up being hybrids, and then one of those three ends up becoming a mature tree. It's really far-fetched. So does that hybrid tree, when it drops acorns, are they all hybrid, hybrid just like that? They're too, all hybrids, they? but they're, yeah. you know, they're an F2 or a second so generation. Say, like, do they so, kind of like go back to like the rootstock, so to speak? Right. And uh, so some of them may uh, back cross with one of the parents, and it'll, hmm. you know, they'll, the majority of them will have more traits of you know so a willow oak cross with a nut all you know it may back cross to where there's more willow oak um, i've never heard of a hybrid becoming its own species they usually digress back to another in nature species right, right. after several generations but what you guys are doing is is intentionally creating hybrids well we're finding them in the woods okay. and then we're finding them in our seat you know in our nursery you know we're i may plant 30,000 swamp chestnut oaks and we may find a couple hybrids in there every year we put them in a seed orchard and monitor them Uh, if i find them in nature 
uh, we get a cutting out of the top of the tree and we can graft that and put it in our in our seed orchard as well and uh, so it's kind of like what they've been doing for pine trees uh, nobody's really done it for oaks uh, some people have but it just uh, when you pollinate a pine cone you may get 300 seeds out of that but mm. if you do it with an oak you just get one acre so it's very time consuming um, but uh, it's a lot of fun and I'm not knocking the regular species oaks. We love sure. those too. In fact, sure. we, we use those probably a little bit more, but we like to plant both. Um, the hybrids exhibit uh, what's called, uh, uh, where's Toxie when I forget another weird word, um, heterosis, which is hybrid vigor. So like a better boy tomato is a hybrid between two tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silver queen corn is a hybrid between mm-hmm. two corns and Oftentimes, they'll grow faster. Their roots are more vigorous. Uh, kind of maybe more survival of the fittest. I mean, it's a... Right. They get the best traits of both yeah. parents. And so that was kind of... Uh, Toxie and I, at the same time, kind of fell in love with this whole hybrid thing. And that's kind of what the nursery was built on to begin with. That was our niche. Um, we've evolved into trying to use, you know use more diversity. We're doing native grasses, wildflowers, uh, you know, uh, native fruiting stuff like Chickasaw plum, American plum, things like that, black cherry. Uh, but we're still trying to, if we can, collect from individual parent trees that we think are superior in some way. So when you go on your Sunday afternoon walks, you're actually, you're doing market research. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're, you're looking for Looking for stuff. Yeah, I can't drive down the street without ID and stuff in my mind. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's incredible. But um, I'm kind of mind blown. <laughs> um, Give us a, in a, you know, in a couple minutes, um, talk a little bit more about just the nursery in general. Like, like, how does it function? Where do you sell stuff to? What's the. Yeah, so uh, we collect the majority of our own seed. Uh, the remainder I kind of barter with other knowledgeable people in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we plant it. And grow it and sell it. Uh, we use, uh, we sell a one-year-old air prune containerized seedling. Uh, it's like a, it's grown in a fancy pot that encourages a fibrous root system. So uh, the root ball is about the size of the, you know, those little Dixie coffee cups you see mm-hmm. at the office, little eight ounce. Um, the ones that aren't big enough to put enough coffee in. Exactly, <laughs> and that is a perfect <laughs> root ball size. To burn yourself, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know the seedlings are all one growing season old. They're Oh, 16 to 36 inches in height, depending on the species. Um, and we've got a website, and we, you know, wrote really detailed descriptions about everything we offer, and folks can go to that website, uh, pick what they want. They can call and ask me questions. Uh, you know, it might be somebody in southern Iowa that, you know, doesn't know exactly what to plant, and they call, and we help them pick out what to order. Uh, we've got instructional videos on YouTube about, the actual plants and how to plant and maintain them so they'll grow fast and survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, There's got to be some form of seasonality to that business, though, right? I mean, y'all, is there, there a there is. life now, cycle the, and you're selling through your inventory or something? Right. So uh, we try to have everything up for sale starting uh, when we get back from Labor Day weekend. You know, some parts of the country, the nights are getting cooler, Um and that's when we just open the floodgates, so to speak. Okay. And um, 
And then, uh, you know, usually by June, mid-June, a lot of the northern folks are done ordering and planting. So that's kind of our peak. Uh, the beauty of these containerized seedlings compared to bare roots is, you know, the bare root nurseries, they have to dig them when the plants are dormant mm. and ship. So we have a wider shipping window. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's willing to, you know, some people have a big backyard and they may want to plant five trees back there. Uh, you know, theoretically, somebody in the South could plant in September if they're able to go out there after work and put some water to it. But mm-hmm. if you're two hours away at the hunting camp, right. it's best to plant in that in that window for your area All right, that's so, safest. Okay, so let's um, – I we've got two other wonderful uh, – co-hosts here no, and this is y- working if y'all great. just <laughs> make yourself you know at home and have some uncle ray's chips yeah i need to, I need to move in a little closer you guys are very <laughs> very focused in a one-on-one so like with with your like a like a chestnut oak or a, or a white oak hybrid something like that what's your planting window and then when you guys when y'all ship a, a seedling to somebody what's their immediate action they need to take do they just yeah. Go ahead. Let me rephrase that question since me and Dudley are having a <laughs> Y'all are. This is the Spence and Dudley I, show. I was literally about to ask a similar question. I was going to say, like, let's talk about my place, Little Reno. It's in the river bottoms, very similar to, you know, the Delta, right? Gotcha. So we're below the bluff, very sandy ground. Is um, this inside the levee? Well, we don't have the levee on Tennessee side because we've got the bluff, gotcha. right? So, the you know, Memphis is the bluff city. So, we're at the bottom of the bluff. We're between there and the river. So, it's a natural levee. So, yes, it's equivalent to inside the levee on the Arkansas side. We're just on God's side of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, we have no oaks because they've all been timbered. And, you know, now it's – we've got tons of pecans. We've all got, that Chicago Mills land from – Exactly. Year and all. Yeah. yeah, and and we have tons of uh, hackberry and pecans, and we have we joke that we have twenty five oaks and we know them by name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. Like if we wanted to plant, if we wanted to start to better our farm with hardwoods, that's kind of what you were going with, mm-hmm. right? Question wise. Yeah. How should we do that in a calendar year? Well, um, the traditional planting time in the south that works best with these containerized seedlings is I always say when the ground gets wet for the winter in December. So the leaves have fallen off the trees, um, you know, uh, and you start getting winter rains. That's usually in early December in that Mm -hmm. neck of the woods. That's when you can plant. Okay. And then you can, I would say April 1st is probably your cutoff, but it'd be better to get them in earlier because in the, in the winter time in the South, the ground is warm enough for that tree to grow roots. Mm. So you want the most roots you can have before the summer drought hits. Or so this, even though you're not seeing green leaves and stuff, I mean, those roots are taking hold. Right. So, you know, we the, had one of the driest Junes on record. So mm-hmm. it would have been better to get those things in the ground, you know, December, January, mm-hmm. than February, April, because they're going to have more roots by the time that drought hits. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you guys in inside the levee or whatever, you also have a lot of seasonal flooding. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of folks that live in or their places in between the mm-hmm. that floods, mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll, for insurance reasons, they may plant some stuff in the fall and then plant again in the spring. Mm-hmm. Just in case you have a, like, mm-hmm. they'll do 50-50. In case you get a March flood. Just to mitigate your risk. Yeah. Um, but on that same note, you know, we had some customers uh, in that huge flood a few years ago in, in the South Delta where water stayed on until 
July and August, and their trees lived. Uh, it's it's really hard to figure all that out. But what about frost? Are you worried about that or a deep freeze in February? Not really, because they uh, they evolved forever to handle frost in February. Okay. Uh, we're storing them outside in the wintertime. So, they're so they've used already to, been through a winter by the time they're getting to us. Yep. I'll be dang. <laughs> what time do y'all plant them? Uh, we try to get everything in the ground. And, you know, we probably grow 50 different species. But we try to – we start planting in a greenhouse in February, and we're finishing up right now. It depends on the species and, you know, when they sprout or – we're trying to get everything to a similar average height. So some of the slower growing stuff or things that root quicker in the spring, we get them in the ground first. Like our plums are just sprouting in our walk-in cooler, and we got to get them in the ground. Yeah. You know. So you've mentioned a couple of fruits like plums and the, the, the one you guys mentioned the other day on the uh, restoration of the bobwhite or the plight of the bobwhite quail is a great episode, by mm-hmm. the way. What talk about those fruits? Are these trees or are they bushes? Um, Chickasaw plum is kind of the main quail plum. It, it's a suckering plant, meaning it'll it's a it reproduces clonally and spreads clonally or by seed falling on the ground. Okay, but um, they grow really clumpy and bushy, so it's it's good cover for upland birds and rabbits and things. You know, hiding from mm-hmm. avian notes. predators. You know that hawk flying around over the field you see when you're in your deer stand yep you want some chickasaw plum out in in your we call them sage grass fields but you know what i'm saying yep. crp yep. looking yeah. you you want that cover or maybe some winged sumac or uh, further north there's little dogwood thickets that's the purpose that serves and there's uh, there's other plums we've got mexican plum here in the southeast it extends out into like nebraska and oklahoma is but the, it's more of like a very small tree, and it drops fruits at, in the late summer, early fall, whereas Chickasaw plum is June and July. Are the fruits of those plum trees eaten by the upland birds, or is it primarily just the shape of the plant that provides the benefit? Um, I would say it's more just the shape of the plant, um, the insects that inhabit the vegetation that fall on the ground, mm-hmm. the cover. But, you know, deer and, and uh, you know, other animals will eat the fruits. I'm sure if a deer eats one of the fruits and it kind of half of it falls on the ground, something will peck at it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's one thing I'm trying to encourage our customers to understand is it's not all about the fruit or the nut that falls out of the tree. It's about the whole ecosystem. Right. Um, there's certain insects that like the leaves of those plums that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's all that a particular bird likes to eat or a particular yeah, it's all yeah. part of the big picture yeah i didn't i've never thought about that but a tree itself is habitat i mean it is you know yeah <laughs> you can plant a tree in a place and that becomes a home for something <laughs> right uh there's a guy that's that's uh named doug Tallamy. um he's got a cool website called homegrown national park but he's done a bunch of studies uh in the past and i want to say he identified over like over 400 different Uh, like moth and butterfly that inhabit oak trees. Wow. Um, And that's so important, you know, because those little caterpillars and worms that, you know, that bluebird gets to take back to the nest. So it's not just the acorns. (laughs) There's so much more to it. 
you know, that black cherry or your plum or your persimmon where you see all those, those worms in it. Uh, you know, we used to try to spray something to kill those, but yeah. you know, we're learning that it's not going to make the tree die and it's, you're feeding your baby turkeys and stuff too with that. Mm-hmm. So, so fascinating. I know nothing about trees now. <laughs> I, I thought I knew a little bit about trees, but now I'm like, nope, I need to go get a botany. It's <laughs> it's fascinating, and I'm a sponge for it, too. I, I don't admit to knowing everything, sure. but I just obsess over yeah. learning as much as I can about yeah. it. That's super cool, though, that you you went from from being a field photographer to, I mean, you, you found a, a man, you managed to find your way into a career that you're passionate about, and that's pretty exciting. Right, and I was a horrible student. You know, I would make A's in, in certain classes and D's in others, and mm. I never really even finished. You know, I did all I, – I got hung up on that big paper, you know, and um, – You got the job you I'm, wanted. I'm happy where I am, and, and I can learn from all those, you know, researchers like Bronson Strickland and mm-hmm. – uh, I can learn by what they're doing, you know, and, and read all their publications. That's awesome. Well, we're grateful for your knowledge. Um, I kind of want to change gears on you here and throw you a curveball. So you and I somehow, and I don't even remember exactly how we made this connection. I think I shared a photo on Insta or something. That's probably what happened. We made a connection that your, is it your dad? My dad, your, okay. Big Dud, and Granddaddy Dud. Hunted at a place called Jackson Point. Was yeah. it called Jackson Point back then? Uh, it was either called Mark Ham Island or Jackson Point. Um, is it Island 65, too? I can't remember. It's, a, it's an island and a number, and right. it's 60-something. I don't know if it's 64, 65, or 66, but it's right, right. in there in the mid-60s. And my, uh, my grandmother hunted there, too, Nana. So. so just to bring the two of y'all up to speed and our listeners at home, my grandfather – is one of the charter members, and I'm, I'm now I'm, I think he was a charter member of this place called Jackson Point, which is also known as Mark Ham Island. And we were comparing notes, and I think you, you may know better than me, but I think that your family and their associates, their their hunting buddies, hunted there when it was they leased it from the timber company. Correct. Or along those lines. Correct. And at some point in time, we're gonna. We're going to dive into this in a couple more episodes, but at some point in time, the timber company decided they wanted to sell it, and a group out of Helena, West Helena, bought it, mm-hmm. and and my grandfather was somehow lumped into that group because he sold, uh, hard, he had a hardware store in Memphis, and his buddy that lived in West Helena had a hardware store in West Helena, and so Dudley posted this picture, and it's his grandmother fishing in a place called Ham Lake, and I'm like, Ham Lake, that we started texting back and yeah. forth started comparing notes and um this place is wild i mean what are your earliest memories of jackson Point? well i never i never got to go so uh you know my, it was, my, it lived in stories then yeah, from granddaddy dud died at 55 um big dud died at 43 but so sometime in i guess dad uh mid 30s is when that property sold and uh Gosh, he was in his mid thirties. You know, that's kind of hard to join a big hunting camp. At yeah, that what time. are we doing with our it lives? Was, <laughs> it was a uh, it was a shack on stilts mm-hmm. at that time, mm-hmm. with a couple of Willis Jeeps parked under it, and uh, a water heater on top of the roof. And everybody stayed in the same building. There was a uh, galvanized aluminum tub that they all bathed in. Um, 
it was men and women, which is what was so unique about it. Um, wow. So there was this woman named Eleanor Ressler, um, and her dad was Mark Ham. So Mark Ham had all this land. Okay. Um, and uh, Eleanor learned how to turkey hunt, and so she taught my dad how to turkey hunt. My my granddad, they, they were just these Jackson city slickers that mm-hmm. were part of this hunting camp, and they would go – my granddad and dad were bird hunters, you know, in the Jackson area. Mm-hmm. But uh, somehow they got involved in this turkey stuff, and they'd go deer hunting during Thanksgiving. But it was a family thing. You know, my aunt would go. My uncle would go. Um, and it was uh, Coach Johnny Vault from Ole Miss, of, you know, back in the Archie Manning days. Uh, the Pools, which Buster Poole was a assistant coach. A uh, gentleman named Billy Mustin, who I believe was also an assistant coach. Okay. Um, and some Clarksdale people and some Memphis people. That's okay. the best I, I know. Hmm. But um, so Miss Eleanor, I, I actually killed a fall turkey with her when I was younger, my second turkey at a place called Ward Lake mm-hmm. that uh, she also had a bunch of land at and helped form, I, best I can understand. But uh so they hunted it up until the eighties. Around, I want to say around eighty three or eighty one right. or so. My earliest, my mother sent me some pictures in preparation for this podcast, and best I can tell, the first time that I went to Jackson Point was in nineteen eighty six or eighty seven, and I would have been five, four, five years right. old. I was little, at very, very little, and um it was brand new to my grandfather. Like they had, so that had to have been within the first couple of years that they, that they had, had bought the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was, I mean, all of my childhood hunting and fishing memories to speak of are from down there. Right. We went down there fishing cause Ham Lake was, I mean, it would, the river would back into there two or three times a year. And every time it did, it would be just loaded. And so yeah. the rule of thumb was two weeks after the river gets out, it's time to go fishing. And right. My grandfather would watch it. And I mean, we would catch those black brim that were, you know, big enough to fillet. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, like I, that's my earliest fishing memories hmm. are my dad and my granddad would say, if you can't fillet it, put it back, you know? Right. <laughs> like, a like, uh, very game rich area yeah. and it it had turkeys when nowhere else did mm-hmm. uh you know down south of there around green there were turkeys mm-hmm. down in there mm-hmm. too like the book the flaming turkey uh is just right 30 or 40 there, yeah. 50 miles south of there um but it's it's fascinating to me and so uh miss elna people called her you know Teaching men how to turkey hunt, and uh, so did she. Uh, how did she? Did she use a box call? What did she? Uh, use? She was, you know, squishing latex between a piece of lead, like a lot of people did back then. She was making mouth calls, making mouth calls, and uh, so no. one of the coolest stories about this is uh, I, that I remember is that so my dad and Will Primos were in the same class in high school. They grew up together. Wow! And so my dad went to state. Will went to Ole Miss. Um, and somewhere between the fall of 72 and 74, Dad invited Will for a fall hunting experience. And they went, and the, the story I hear is that Will walked in, and uh, 
uh, there were these women sitting around the table pulling multicolored prophylactics out of a out of a box, condoms, <laughs> yeah. and they were cutting them up and making mouth calls. And uh, that's kind of what you know. Let that sink. The in light bulb in Will Primos's head, and uh, so my mom tells me that um, I think it was Coach Mustin at some point heard about this machine that would stamp aluminum, mm-hmm. and so he bought. Well, maybe it was Coach Poole, I can't remember, uh, would stamp these aluminum frames. And then the, you know, these turkey hunters would get on the phone and, oh, my gosh, we got this, you know. And so I'm not real sure who to credit with that. But uh, then they started, you know, smashing them in those frames. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fascinating. You know, even – so they had friends that hunted in other places, but they were just getting on the phone and sharing information and – uh you know, my so, mom says, I remember when they realized that there was this waterproof tape that they could use. And they get all, you know, they were using gauze tape. But then they started stacking the frames. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, the true double, the true, right. you know, it's just fascinating. Yeah. It, it's um, amazing to me that I hope I'm not stepping into something I don't want to get into. But it's amazing to me to just kind of listen to your story. And at first blush, when you said your dad was 43 when he passed away, man, it took my breath away because I'm, I'm I'm 47. 40. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, I can't even imagine what leaving my family's not ready for me. To, you know what I mean? That would be right. such a huge void. And then your grandfather at 50, 53, 50. Yeah. I don't, he, he died before I was born. But, but then, but then to think about kind of parallel that with the plight of the wild turkey and to think that, you know, there's some women on an island in the Mississippi River making mouth calls that, I mean, that's how we put food on our table these days, both of us, you know? I mean, right, the, yeah. we, we all, the wild turkey has sustained us, and and there's some women in the Mississippi River Delta who kind of sustained yeah. this part of the tradition when they weren't turkey hunting in 50 states back then. No, I mean, I've got my grandmother's uh, uh, Model 1120 gauge two and three quarter inch full choke. And wow. I've got to kill a turkey with it. Yes, <laughs> you definitely do. Um, but uh, that is so fascinating. And it, it's fascinating to me that the head coach of Ole Miss football, that coach Archie Manning would take a bath in a galvanized tub in the middle of a cabin. <laughs> it's in not the very Ole Miss like, yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would happen anymore, but Rob, they're, I, out, they're out of the Tiffany pewter. Yeah. Well, Rob, Rob is a gigantic Ole Miss fan. Right. And um, are you an Ole Miss fan? I I had a stint at Ole Miss. Okay. I didn't last very long. Okay. But, yeah, I finished at Delta State. Well, he's been real proud of their national championship this year. But I can oh, see yeah. him beaming. Now he's going to be telling everybody that from the Ole Miss lore, <laughs> they, right. they started turkey calls. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I can handle that. That's all right. We don't have many national championships, but we started the mouth callers. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. You're welcome for your job, Spence. Uh, yeah. That well, that's such a that's such an interesting story and in the fact that you got to hunt with Miss Elna. Well, it's it's neat how the turkey hunting community back then, uh, you know, they didn't have the internet or anything like that, but they would somehow figure out who all the turkey hunters were. Mm-hmm. You know, so other, it may yeah. not have been Coach Mustin that discovered the the but aluminum, the frame press, but yeah. he probably heard about it from somebody and just got one. And then, you know, that's so, so cool. Just like rumors from afar and it's like it comes together. Yeah. Do you know, as a side note, do you know where the island got the name Jackson Point? 
I don't. I know I have an ancient duffel bag that says Jackson Point Hunting Club and Dudley Phelps on it. And That's I, cool. I cherish cool. it. I wondered. I bet you do. I wondered if it had to do with Jackson, Mississippi, or it seemed like I had heard something about about Andrew Jackson crossing the river right yeah, there. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's probably more like it. Okay. Well, I'm going to find out. We're, we're going to – so my grandfather is 91, and um, he bought two memberships in the early 80s, and we're going to let him tell that story because he didn't have two nickels rubbed together, and I'm dying to find out how he found the money to buy into this thing. <laughs> I think his initial – I'm going to probably get this wrong, but he'll correct it. I think initially his memberships were $30,000 a piece. The buy-in. The buy-in. That's tough for a 35-year-old man to swallow. In the early 80s. Yeah. I mean, with, you know, interest rates where they were, and, I mean, the the economy wasn't exactly booming in the early 80s. Yeah, so. And and they're now trading for, you know, 300-plus, I think was the last number I heard. Big old houses everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We still have a double wide. <laughs> That's the great big double wide in the sky, probably. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there'll be some interesting history, and we may have to circle back with you and compare some notes after. Yeah, we do a little... you know, like if, if anybody's listening to this and knows any Mustins or Pools, I think Alexander may have been another last name. Uh, yeah, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of currently prominent. Arkansas figures and Mississippi figures. I think Sheffield Nelson is still a member. And I have so many unanswered thoughts. Questions. Yeah, yeah, questions. So thank you for that. We don't do that well enough, but we would love to hear from somebody if you know yeah. anything about the history of Jackson Point, for sure. So, Well, I think we've met our time limit, yeah. and we've covered a lot of topics. So thank you so much for your time, Dudley. Oh, Enjoyed it. We we need to get an order in for trees, and little Reno needs some more oak trees. So <laughs> needs a few more. You got I, enough pecans. I, right. I know a guy. Good. Perfect. Good. Well, good to talk to you, and thanks so much for your time. And we will. Uh, I guess we'll catch you on the next episode. Sounds like a plan.